Welcome, a listener, to another episode of Spam, 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 Humbug. This is episode 109 of the podcast, and we have another great discussion lined up for you. This week, we are joined by Wes Loker. He's the author of the recently released Braving Britannia, a book about the experiences of players and developers of Ultima Online across the now more than 20-year history of that game. Well worth checking out if you were at all the player of Ultima Online, or if you're still heavily invested in the game today, or even if you're just kind of casually curious about this particular MMORPG, which really gave rise to more or less the entire ecosystem of MMORPGs that exists today. It is rightly considered the grandfather of the genre. Also, just a reminder, we are now hosted on Anchor.fm, a new and much more social podcast hosting platform. Find us at anchor.fm slash podcast and take advantage of some of the neat community features there. You can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration, and you can give our episodes applause. It's kind of like a like. But speaking of liking, if you're listening in the Anchor app on iOS or Android, you can also favorite our episodes and the podcast itself. And for those of you who do the smart home thing, you can find us live on the Apple HomePod or on Google Home. So depending on which ecosystem you're a part of, try saying, hey Siri, play the podcast Spam 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 Humbug, or hey Google, play the podcast Spam 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 Humbug. And as always, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our Patreon backers. Thank you to everyone who supports Spam 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 Humbug and the Ultima Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Chris, Brickbat, Dominic, Violation, Cranberry, Shamano70K, Gradia, Christopher, Bruce, Edward, The Hearth of Britannia, Dark Wraith Dragon, Helgruff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. And now, enjoy the show. Wes Loker, welcome to Spam, 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 Humbug. And, thank you so uh, much. Thank you. That was a lot of spams. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, it's an Ultima joke, actually. Cheat code for Ultima okay. 6. Nice. Very. See, I, I only came into the fold at Ultima Online. So, like, I have missed out on so much Ultima. And, and part of me feels like I should go and, and catch up and really become an expert. But who has the time? Oh, I'm right with you there. <laughs> um, I do encourage people to play all the Ultimas, but I totally get the uh, lack of time. Carving this little bit of time out was enough of a challenge as it is. Uh, I bet, yeah. Goodness. But uh, anyways, so you mentioned Ultima Online, and that's what we're here to talk about, because you, of course, have written a book about Ultima Online, and in particular about player and developer experiences within Ultima Online. So, yeah. and that is called... Braving Britannia. And what is the subhead on that one again? It's uh, Tales of Life, Love, and Adventure in Ultima Online. Had to make sure that the uh, the old search results could, could find me appropriately. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, that actually is a pretty good description because you cover within the pages of the book um, a significant number of stories. And, you know, you did interview some of the developers. I have a list here somewhere. I'll try and pull that up. But... Um, in addition to the developers, you also, uh, of course, uh, interviewed many of the uh, players of the game, and you've teased out some pretty interesting stories. I mean, it's one thing to think of, you know, like the early heady days of Ultima Online when it was all like open PvP and PK was a thing, and but you've got a lot, and you've got stories like that. To be fair, um, that was in the excerpt actor actually that you sent out, but. You've got a lot more stories than just, you know, the the guy who tried to play the game straight and got 
very frustrated at getting killed all the time and so just became a PK. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, playing Ultima Online, and I kind of played in the, in the heyday. I played from about 1998 to about 2003. And, and that was, to me, that was like the Wild West time. It was, it was before they, they kind of went PvP, PvP-free. They did the split. Um, there was a lot going on. And, and to me, every night when I logged into the game, there was, you know, there was always some sort of adventure that I would go on, whether I'd be meeting up with friends, whether I would meet complete strangers, whether I would just be kind of going around the world. And, and I knew the experiences that I had within the game, um, but I was always, even when I was playing, I was really interested in like, you know, that person over there that, you know, ran by, tossed me a heel and ran off screen. Like what, you know, what did they do once <laughs> they left? And, and so I just kind of started thinking about that. And even though I haven't played Ultima Online since 2003, 2004, like I said, um, you know, it's, it's one of those games that the experience sticks with you. I think a lot of us have been trying to find a similar game where we could get that same feeling of, of anything is possible. And, and for a lot of us, I mean, me personally, I still haven't found it. Um, so what I would do is just over the past decade, essentially, you know, it's just something that I would think about and I would look on Amazon and see like, has anybody written about this? Because I know that, you know, with the millions of people that have played this game, there have to be other good stories out there. Um, you know, I knew that I had some and, and I knew my friends had some, but, you know, I just wanted to see like what everybody was getting into. And so I would go on Amazon, search Ultima Online and year after year, I just got nothing, like no results except for strategy guides and and other books that didn't quite hit the mark. And so eventually, just within the past few years, I started to think like, you know, is this something that maybe I should do? If I, if I want to read this so bad, maybe I have to do it myself. Um, and so the book actually came about because I was, I was on a friend's podcast. Um, my buddy Doug, he runs a podcast called A Game to Remember, where people go on and they talk to him about their favorite game of all time. Cool. Um, so eventually he started running out of guests and he asked me if I would come on the show just to help him fill in a week. And I said, sure. And I'm going to talk about this game that I know that you don't know anything about, which was Ultima Online. And mm -hmm. so we, we did about an hour just chatting about that. He learned a lot. I told a lot of really nerdy stories. Um, and then an interesting thing happened. I'm, I'm, I'm a writer by day as well. So I, I kind of mentioned that on the show and people started messaging me complete strangers on Facebook saying, you know, you should write about this game. It sounds like you really love it. And it sounds like you're a writer, you could probably do it. And it sounds like it could be interesting. So, you know, first of all, I was like, how the heck did you find me? But second of all, that's not a bad idea. So I just started kind of doing some research, putting the feelers out there. And um, I actually ended up putting a message out on an Ultima Online group on Facebook saying, here's what I would like to do. Is anybody interested in contributing to it? And it, the thread is actually still going on there, and it had hundreds of responses. So I set up a, a Google form where people could just kind of submit a story. could be as long or short as they wanted it to be. Just I wanted to learn about their connection with the game and what made it so special for them. Um, and what was interesting is within about 24 hours, I had um, a over 100 content. responses. Yeah, I mean, it was they were just coming in. My email was just going off constantly. So I, I took I let it go for... You know, about three or four days, and then I dove in and just started reading through everything people were sharing, and and some of them were just really obvious, like wow, this is a very interesting story. This person's experience is very deep, and they have an emotional connection, and and I want to know more about it. So I think the the funny thing is though is that um, by the time I had finished the book, um, I only used maybe um, thirteen, I think, of those submissions, and the rest just came from people saying, "Oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to this person. My friend has a great story about this." And so it really became a cool community project where people were kind of passing me off to other people, and and I was able to really get the stories that I was looking for, things that 
were not just about a video game. I didn't want people to, to say, oh, I don't know anything about Ultima Online, therefore I'm not interested in this book. I wanted to make sure that these were stories of, of humans. These were, um, this was a, a real genuine life that they lived within a digital landscape and just kind of wanted to, to share those stories accordingly. And hopefully, I, I think I succeeded in that, but, but hopefully people are enjoying reading it as much as I enjoyed doing the interviews, talking with people and actually writing it as well. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, that was kind of a thing that was, I don't want to say that it's unique to Ultima Online, because I can think of some of these stories that have percolated through other games, you know, I think I actually know people personally who like met and got married, and they played WoW together. That's how they met. So, but equally, like, you know, you, you touched on something earlier, which is that the overall experience of Ultima Online was, and remains largely unique, you know, because in a certain way, the Ultima design philosophy in itself remains unique. You know, I've been searching for a game to scratch that Ultima 6, Ultima 7 itch for 25 years. And really, there isn't much out there because the experience of Ultima is just, it really is something that's, you know, it's unique And it was like a lightning in a bottle thing. And many have aspired, but none have really completely recaptured everything that made Ultima Ultima. Um, Especially once you get to those, you know, like I say, six, seven, nine to a degree. um, Because that was kind of where everything was turned on. You know, not only did you have unengaging story, not only did you have the virtues and, you know, sort of the whole concept of... um, morality as a gameplay mechanic, but mm-hmm. you also had the world, right? And realistically, the world in Ultima Online is basically the world design of Ultima 7 dialed up. Okay. Um, so kind of the way this kind of the way this emerged, right? Ultima 6 really laid the groundwork for what Ultima Online ultimately was. Because that was the first Ultima game that went to um, what we call a monoscale map. Um, so instead, uh, previous Ultima games, there was like the Britannian overworld map. And then if you came to a town, you'd actually be taken to a separate town map and you okay. could explore the buildings. Ultima 6 blew that away and everything was just on one massive overworld map. Gotcha. So, and everything or almost everything was interactive. If it looked like you could move it around, you probably could, even if there was absolutely no point to it in the plot. You know, I don't need this glass wine cup. Right, but I want it. (laughs) But I can move it. I can pick it up. If I drop it one square away from me, it's fine. If I drop it two squares away from me, it breaks. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I may have on one playthrough deprived Britannia of all glassware. (laughs) But... You made it your mission. (laughs) But uh, that was the thing, right? That really set the tone for what I think in a lot of people's minds, Ultima was. Not just a story, not just, you know, an RPG adventure in a game world of someone's creation, but this sandbox, right? Like, that's really where I think the term sandbox kind of comes from. Yeah. Is that because you could just manipulate it and there wasn't a point to most of it. It made sense that you could manipulate it because if you were walking around someone's house in the real world and there was a plate on their table, well, of course you could pick that plate up 
Sure. I mean, it, hopefully it, you wouldn't pick it up and smash it on the floor. <laughs> but <laughs> depends you could. on your character, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, to the developers at Origin, it just made sense. Well, I can do this in real life. Why can't I do this in the game? Absolutely. And just about everything was manipulable. And then yeah, Ultima that 7, sense of agency has to really give you a sense of freedom, especially kind of that at that point in technology where, where that wasn't necessarily possible. I feel like every right. game kind of has that now, but, you know, at the time, you know, even for me, you know, a couple of years later when the online version came out, that that was something that drew me to it too, just being able to interact with all these random items, you know, read read books that were in people's drawers. Like that was all very interesting. It, it helped yep. build this, this world and, and sucked me into it. And you know what? You say that more games have it now, and they do, but I've yet to find a game that really has it to the same level that the Ultimas did and do. Even something like Skyrim, right? You know, mm-hmm. pretty much cream of the crop or The Witcher 3, you know, top tier modern single player RPGs. Right. Um, and they're not nearly as, it, the worlds in them are not nearly as interactive as what I could find in Ultima 9, you know, which is like almost 20 years old as 3D yeah. RPGs go, which itself was a bit less interactive just because of the jump from 2D to 3D than Ultima 7. So, and it was kind of out of that design school then that Ultima Online emerged. Actually, I think the first Ultima Online sort of test case back when it was still called Multima was built with the Ultima 6 engine. Um, yeah, that sounds and right. And then they ultimately went their own way with a completely different engine. Um, but they took a lot of the same principles from, you know, Ultima 6, Ultima 7, and the design of those games, and just brought them right into the online realm, which is also why, of course, you had things like the open PvP and some of the issues related to that. Because, you know, in Ultima 6, Ultima 7, you can attack any of the NPCs. If you happen to kill a plot-critical character, well, that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so you know again i think it just made sense to origin well we do this anyways so you know why wouldn't players be able to attack each other why wouldn't they be able to attack npcs um which of course very quickly the problems became apparent but, right um, <laughs> but when you set an expectation for, in those single player games you know that that's very interesting because because i didn't play them so i had to do a lot of research about some of the earlier games and and just heard a lot of people talking about them but you know if you set the precedent in ultima 6 or 7 that you can attack anybody you would go into this online game with that same mentality so i think that that's yeah. probably that's a wise decision you know to bring a fan base over for sure yeah although it's interesting that the fan bases well, I mean, they did and didn't overlap, right? Because, of course, you go back to, like, the the days of the beta, and they sent out that note to, you know, you know, just basically in magazines, hey, here's the thing we're building, you know, if you want to try it, send us five bucks so we can mail you a CD. Mm-hmm. And they thought they'd maybe get, like, what, 5,000 people, and they got 50,000? Right. So, <laughs> um, and, you know... At that time, certainly a number of those 50,000 were people who had long experience with the Ultima, the Ultima series to that point. But it is interesting that, you know, your story is not an uncommon one. There's a whole UO fan base that has no interaction with the Ultima series. And Very equally, true. there's a huge chunk of the fan base of the Ultima series that have really no understanding of uo Mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's kind of interesting how you know there is some overlap there but by and large ultima as a single player 
um, gaming experience and Ultima as an online gaming experience really have very distinct communities around them that uh, there's not necessarily a lot of cross-pollination between the two of them. So, but anyways, um, just looking at the list of names that you got here, like this is actually pretty darn impressive, right? Because you've got, (laughs) you've got, um, Bonnie Armstrong is in there. Of course, she's the current producer. Um, Chris Mayer, a programmer. Uh, you've got Gordon Walton, (laughs) who was the executive producer from way back when. Yeah. He was one of the people that like everybody kept directing me toward. And, and, And I didn't have like a whole lot of familiarity with the people behind the game other than, of course, Richard Garriott. I knew that Raph Koster had been involved. Um, but you know, somebody like Chris Mayer, who, you know, at the time, you don't, you don't think about the guy that's programming these games. He's not the face of the company. He's not the all-star. Yeah. But, you know, those were some of my favorite interviews. I found that, like, the more street-level folks, you know, had the, the best stories. And Gordon was great. Gordon was a, a huge source of, hey, you need to talk to this person and this person, just sending me emails upon emails of people to contact. Um, uh, you know, it was neat, though, because I, I, I liked seeing it from the perspective from the, the player up to the top of person who was in charge of the, the whole game at that point. Like, that was a very interesting dichotomy, and I wanted to, to tell both sides of that story. So I was super thankful, too, that everybody was willing to kind of go in on the good and the bad. I, I didn't want to focus on too much negativity um, because I know, especially with players, like, there's a, everybody has that point in the game that they love and anything past that game you're past that point is, is terrible in their eyes. So I wanted to make sure that everybody was, was, you know, was focused on, on the positive experience that they had. And, and to even hear somebody like Gordon or some of the other producers that, you know, were willing to offer bad things that happened, I thought was refreshing. And there were stories that, um, you know, if you, if you look up, um, interviews with Star Long or or Richard Garriott, you know, you, they've talked about it all in interviews. So I I didn't want to have a whole lot of overlap either. I really wanted to get fresh content, fresh perspective, something that maybe, um, people who who enjoyed the game hadn't heard before. That was really important to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Walton, <laughs> he in particular, he presided over a very storied time in the game's development history. Yes. So I imagine that he would have been just absolutely fascinating to talk to. And then, yeah, you've got, you know, um, Pete Warner, Rafe Koster, Rich Vogel, <laughs> Rick Hall, um, just like the list of names. It's you've, you've got Star Long for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not Richard Garriott, but maybe. That's what I <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I really, I really tried to get a hold of him, but when, when I was writing the book, it turned out that he was actually off adventuring in like the North pole or something. Yeah. So he just took his family there. Yeah. So I, and I didn't like know that people have ever been there. <laughs> so, so here I am like trying to get a hold of him, emailing him, like messaging him like, Hey, I'm writing this silly little book. Not realize that he's like, braving life and limb in the North Pole with his family. And so it, unfortunately it didn't work out. But at the same time, like the more I was kind of disappointed by that. I felt like, you know, that was something that people expected. But what I think that that allowed to have happen was uh, it allowed some other people to kind of step into the spotlight a little bit more. So I, I kind of made peace with it. And I thought, yeah, maybe maybe that's something to do for the sequel if he's open to it and available. Definitely. And of course, you are already kind of collecting stories for follow-up editions of Braving Britannia. Yeah, it's, there's no shortage of them. And, and I'm <laughs> thankful to you as well for spreading the word on that. Like every, a couple times a day, new stuff's hitting the inbox. So I'm, I'm trying awesome. to keep up with it. And, and the other thing that's helpful is that as people read this book, I think they'll see the type of stories that I'm looking for and maybe kind of see their own story in that and share it. Um, you know, some people have great stories. Some people's stories aren't as interesting as they think they are. And I'm glad that they've shared them regardless um, but, you know, I really like to share 
you know, stuff that, that has a profound impact. You know, how, how did their life change from this, this video game? You know, that to me, that's what's interesting. Not necessarily, you know, that you, you killed 10,000 people and were a jerk in the process. You know, I want to know, you know, how you grew and changed as a human being. Mm. Maybe you need to start like a Patreon or something, you know, then you can have like, you can start sorting everything that people submit into three things. This one's for the book. This one's for like paid subscribers. And then this one can be a freebie. Something to think about for sure. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, so you mentioned, of course, actually, because Richard Garriott's North Pole Expedition wasn't too long ago. So how long did it take you to write the book? Like, when did you start? When did you kind of say, okay, now I'm done. Let's publish this. Uh, I started it, uh, I initially put out the feelers for it and kind of told people what I was planning back in October of 2017. Um, and, and the first month or so was really just kind of starting to get stories, kind of sort through those stories saying, okay, this one's interesting. You know, this one's not really that interesting. And just and just kind of making a big spreadsheet of people that I would like to talk to. Um, I, I almost, the, <laughs> the book almost fell apart very early on because uh, people were submitting stories that were interesting. But then when I was trying to get in touch with them to actually talk about it, they, they didn't have the time anymore. Some of them, I would email them and they would just never email me back again. So I was worried that like, okay, nobody's putting their money where their mouth is. They're, they're okay to fill out this form. But now that I want to actually get in depth, they're disappearing on me. So I got a little worried at first. Um, but thankfully, and, and that's why I kind of steered away from the submissions there is like I wanted to get in touch with people who really were willing to talk and really did have um, solid stories. So um, it ended up being um, about eight months total. And, uh, you know, some some weeks were all interviews. Some weeks I would I would just write and catch up on what I had done. So, it, you know, it was a very, um, it, it was an interesting process. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It was just kind of what can I focus on? If this person's available here, then I need to get in and make sure that that I use the the week that they have to talk and get their story down and then maybe write it the following week. Um, but it came together faster than I thought it would. I mean, even for for a book, eight months from from initial concept to yeah. finished product, that's pretty quick. Um, yeah, that's really good. So I, you know, I was happy, and and again, I just wanted to I wanted to show people too that you know I wasn't wasting their time. This was something that I was very passionate about, and I put in you know many 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 hours. Um, you know, obviously unpaid to do this. It was it was a labor of love for me. But you know, I wanted people to get it into their hands to see that you know I was going to you know, take care with their stories and, and really present them in the, the most interesting and most truthful light that I could. So the feedback that I've gotten has been good. People seem seem happy with, with how I portrayed their stories. And, um, you know, that that's the type of thing that makes me excited to, to get to the next round, to have somebody message me and say, wow, you know, I genuinely cried while I was reading what you wrote. Like that's, that's huge for me. Nice. And you've gotten that kind of review then? I have. Yeah. From, awesome. from, um, from like some of the least likely people, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so like in addition then to, you know, the, the PK story that um, you sent out as a kind of um, teaser, you mm-hmm. know, that I was able to put into the article that went up on the Codex. Um, what are some of the other stories that we can expect to find within the pages of Braving Britannia? Well, what I did was I, I actually broke everything down into several different chapters. And within those chapters, they, there are kind of common themes that run through the story. So the, the first or the second chapter, rather, is called the, the Digital Garden of Good and Evil. And that focuses on folks who mainly play like a good guy or a bad guy. 
and mm. kind of getting a feel for you know trying to make this book to to where somebody who had never played the game could still enjoy it. You know, I do a lot of trying to to make sure that I you know, define all of the the acronyms that pop up on the internet nowadays. Try to explain what you know a, a PK is to somebody who may have no knowledge of that. Um, so it, I worked really hard to structure it in a way that you would kind of build on your knowledge as you went. So by the time that you were six chapters in, you you knew all the the keywords, you knew everything that you needed to know for stuff to make sense. So um, right. starting it off with good and evil, very easy concept. You know, people who, um, you know, you meet a guy who was a PK, probably one of the, the best PKs on his server, killed, you know, 600 people, I believe he said. But then you also meet the other side of that, who is, who is a fellow that is really just, he just wants to own a house. Like that's his main motivation in the game. And then once he does finally get that house, all of the horrible things that happen to him. Um, from there we go to kind of, um, folks who, who did something to kind of give back to the community. And one of my favorite stories from that is, um, of Cazola's Tavern, which was one of the, the biggest player run, um, essentially bars on, on the Great Lakes server. And just to see right. how, uh, Karen, the, the player behind Cazola, how, you know, that was something that she really wanted to do. She really wanted to give, um, the Great Lakes role-playing community a kind of a central hub to operate from. And, you know, it started with a dream and, and to see how she accomplished that and, you know, met her husband in the process was really interesting to me. Um, and then from there, we go to um, a chapter on people who volunteered with the game. So they were counselors or seers or, or somehow just gave their time back, whether that was by being a reporter for Stratix, um, whether that was by running a, um, a website dedicated to the game. You know, people that were, they're using their time outside of the game to give something back, which I thought was very interesting. And then that's kind of who I found myself drawn to when I was a player. I was always going to these websites. I was always reading Stratic. So I, I wanted to kind of get the behind the scenes picture at, at what was happening and how that affected their their experience, whether it was good or bad. Um, and then I also took, uh, take a sidestep and I, I talked to people who um, are essentially game developers or became involved in the video game industry and were directly inspired by their experience with Ultima Online and to see how that affected what they created, what they made, how they thought about video games. Um, I work in the video game industry, so maybe that was a little bit of a self-serving chapter, but I thought that there were some really interesting stories, so I made sure to include those. Um, and then we pretty much end up the book talking to the, the developers. We talked to the folks who were there when the game was being made, whether it was uh, right at the beginnings with somebody like Raph and Star or somebody who came in, you know, a couple years into it, someone like Pete Warner, who started working on the game as a designer in, I think, the year 2000, where obviously there were some monumental shifts happening within Ultima Online and him going from, from a player uh, that was really into PvP to suddenly designing PvP for the game in an official capacity. So it's a nice. little bit of everything. It's, it's kind of a mixed bag, but you know, I wanted to make sure that each of the stories were, was different. Um, there was some sort of takeaway. Um, most importantly of all, I, I think one of the biggest themes that runs through the book is that, you know, you know, within this world, you know, you really could do whatever you put your mind to and, and really show the, the freedom that Ultima Online offered its players and still does to this day. Absolutely. There really isn't another MMO quite like it, which is in some ways good, you know, because the fact that UO continues to percolate along, what now, 20, almost six years after yeah. launch, because um, it came out in what, 97? The official, yeah, the official was around September of 97. See, now yeah. I just have all this useless information in my head that I'm never going to use for anything <laughs> else ever again. Well, but they you need know, to have like, like Ultima Online Jeopardy or something. I feel like I could yeah. win that right now. 
Yeah, there you go. You can make like cards against Ultima or something. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's, it's genuinely impressive that, you know, this MMO has continued unabated for over a quarter century. Yeah. And, and many have come and gone in the process. Yeah. And there are others that can kind of, there are other multiplayer online games that can kind of, you know, lay claim to, you know, saying, well, technically, yeah, if you want to quibble, you can say, yeah, Meridian 59 launched first, mm-hmm. but Meridian 59 was offline for a while. <laughs> so the, it's just that singular achievement of being such a long running, continuously running MMO. Yeah. And sure, you know, UO is definitely not one of the major players in the MMO space anymore, right? I mean, there's optimistically, I'll say 100,000 people still playing the game. Sure. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's more. I don't really know. It's kind of hard to find <laughs> hard data. It is, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're not talking tens of millions. We're not right. talking the player base of League of Legends or right. Overwatch now, I'm sure, has millions upon millions of people playing it daily. But... It continues, and it continues enough that there's still a development team supporting it, working on it, adding little bits to it here and there, and um, that is a genuinely impressive thing, and I think it's a testament to, you know, like you said, just the unique experience that it is, that it offers players. Definitely, Um, and in my research, you know, I had looked at a lot of the games that had come along since... Um, and it was probably this experience for a lot of people, but whenever a new game would come out, you know, everybody would say, well, I'm leaving Ultima online. I'm going to go play this game from now on because it's going to be better because the advertising is telling me that it's going to be better. And they, you know, these people would play it for a couple of weeks and they would always come back. Like your friends would disappear and then they were back. They're like, yeah, it wasn't what I thought it would be. (laughs) Um, you know, but just looking at some of these games, um, that people left for and seeing how nowadays they are, if they're still online at all, they're down to, you know, one server or two servers. And I'm pretty sure Ultima Online is still rocking like two dozen servers, which is kind of a feat in and of itself. Yeah, there's still a lot of shards active, which is surprising, right? Because, you know, yeah. even even games that have more players than UO does, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to go about it by that metric, you know, there's still probably a couple million people playing Star Wars The Old Republic. Yeah. But even they're consolidating servers. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I don't UO. know how much it has to do with, you know, obviously you can't really jam those servers together with, you know, with the player housing and that type of thing. So I don't know if they have just gotten themselves into a situation where they're stuck having to maintain all these servers or if the populations are still good. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy that they're there and I'm happy that people yeah. can, can still go home and, and visit them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the other cool thing is that, you know, and especially now because like they've launched Endless Journey, right? So yeah. there's that now free to play or at least sort of free to play um, offering that's out there. And yeah, it's kind of significantly limited in certain ways as free to play things often are. But still, you know, the offer is out there. It's just like, hey, you know, if you had an old account from way back when, that account still exists. Here's how you can convert yeah. it to an endless journey account if you want to dip your toe back in. And uh, I think it's really cool that they were able to to figure out a way to do that and then, yeah. you know, to just put that out there for players. And I don't know what the return rate has been like, but I do know a few people who've certainly gone back and, you know, dusted off their old password after 10 years and, um, you know, gone in and checked it out. And um, I don't know how many of those have, you know, stuck with it. I know one person in particular that I was talking to had a bit of an issue with how they were handling or rather limiting access to bank slots for free players. 
but I think they were working on a fix for that. And I okay. think they may have actually pushed that out there. So hopefully. Yeah, I mean, and that's something too. When I was when I was talking to Bonnie, and you know, specifically, she was highlighting the the Endless Journey Initiative. You know, I started to kind of get that itch, and you know, part of me thought, oh, well, maybe for if I do another book, I could talk about how like I could talk about my return experience and and kind of relay mm-hmm. that with stories. And then I I just am so scared that I would be disappointed, and then not want to work on it anymore. So it's it's still there in the back of my mind as as maybe something it could be an interesting approach, but but I haven't I haven't made any moves to recover the the decades old account at this point. Yeah, well, I I actually downloaded and installed it. I mean, you know, you're a busy guy. You write comics. You write video games. Um, I'm a busy guy. I have my day job. I have four kids. Oh wow! It's you know, our worlds are crazy in their own ways. And yeah. just gaming time just mm, keeps hard to come getting back. sacrificed. It's the first thing things. to go when you have to cut something. It is. Because, I mean, you know, as fun as gaming is, it is just a game. Right. And so, yeah, I've not had a chance to really dip my toe into UO um, nearly as much as I would have liked. Um, but Endless Journey was, of course, really exciting. Is, is, yeah, if, and even if you do go back, you know, you, you, you know that the time commitment that you kind of have to give it in order to get something out of it. And I think that that's, that's definitely a challenge as we, as we get older. Yep. I, you know, I get a lot of flack for this from places like the RPG Codex. Actually, not <laughs> nearly as much as that, but, you know, those are the places that would give me flack for it if they bothered. Um, I like mobile games. I, I got to admit, I really like mobile games. Um, you know, sure, they're not going to be as rich and rewarding an experience as, you know, cracking into Ultima 6 or Ultima 7 or Ultima Online again. Um, and certainly some of the desktop games that I wish I had more time to play, I definitely get a lot more out of in terms of the overall experience whenever I do have a chance to spend some time with them. But, you know, life is what it is. There's something to be said for being able to drop into a game for 10 minutes, fiddle around, and then just drop out, you know, on a moment's notice, and then come back to it later. I would support you on that 100%. Most of the the work I do in the industry is in the mobile games realm. So, you know, I I know how important that is and how much of a a moneymaker that is right now. So that's, to me, that's kind of the, the future in a way. You know, you, not everybody has the the 80 hours to dedicate to the latest RPG and they, they still want to play games. So, you know, there should be something for that and, you know, everybody should like what they like and not realize that not everybody thinks like they do, I guess. Yeah. And you know what, when it's 2 AM and you got a little kid sleeping on your chest because they're just not comfy in their crib, it's a lot easier to hold a phone up (laughs) than it is to do a mouse and keyboard. (laughs) I can, I can imagine that could get a little awkward. So, but, you know, I, now that said, I do wish that there was something on mobile that was even like a 10th, the richness of the UO or Ultima experience. And I'm just still chagrined to this day, what, five years later, that Ultima forever shut down. Yeah. Um, Because even though that wasn't, you know, as rich of a game as even Ultima 6, it was, I say, still a lot more than a lot of the current crop of, quote, RPGs, unquote, um, that are available in the mobile space. That said, there are some very fun mobile games that I do enjoy playing greatly. But, you know, I, I really wish that we did have something at that richness level. 
in the uh, in the mobile space. Um, coming back to the book, though, absolute favorite story. Do you have one? Yes. Um, except for I shouldn't because they're all like children and you can't love one child more than the other, right? <laughs> well, um, for, or like you know, one I, that you think is I, particularly I like, standout. Like if, if someone is going to pick up the book and there was like one story where you just like, you, re, you really should check this one out. Like this one is just emblematic. Yes. Yeah. I would use, um, it's in the chapter six, which covers the, the developer side of things. Um, I talked to one of the game's former producers named Rick Hall. Um, and he, he was just like so gracious with his time. He really went out of his way to give me like all the information that I needed. And I was always, you know, having to hit him up with, Hey, I just have one more question. I just have one more question. <laughs> and he, you know, he was so sweet with his time. Um, but his story to me is, is really interesting because he came to origin from, he, he left uh, take two interactive when it was first kind of starting up and he was excited about origin and he, he really wanted to work on one of these like upcoming next gen games uh, and the one game that he just did not want to work on was Ultima Online. And of course, that's where he was assigned eventually. Mm. And just kind of hear how he went from like just really being mad about being assigned there to absolutely just loving the game was really, I think I saw a lot of, you know, a lot of myself in that there was, a you know, to see him fall in love the way that we all fell in love was, was kind of special. Um, so to me, that's kind of like as good as it gets. Like, I, I really think that that, just the way that he shared his feelings and the way that he told his story was really poignant and touching. So that's, that's the one that I would recommend everybody read. There's actually an excerpt of it over on the website, Venture Beat. Um, they ran an exclusive clip of that. So that's a good place okay, to cool. check it out and, and see if, you know, if, if that grabs at the heartstrings, then you'll love the rest of the book as well. Nice. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned him making the jump to origin to work on like next gen games. Because <laughs> there weren't any. <laughs> well, he he did they do tried. some work on the the U the oh, what is it the the UXO the Ultima X was Odyssey. Oh yeah, I, I remember called. Odyssey. Yeah, so but he, he it didn't he go anywhere. On, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. So it, it so that's why he eventually got moved to the other team. But that he said that that was you know something that he was enjoying working on, and I and I guess it was very similar to kind of what EverQuest ended up being. Um, he he actually yeah. even went so far as to send me like all of their all these videos and promotional material. So I really got to do kind of a deep dive into that game too. Um, and, and I can see where his excitement was, um, but to see how he was able to then parlay that excitement into something that already existed and kind of take it to the next level was, was neat to see too. Yeah. UXO was, I mean, even I was excited for that one, right. Um, coming from the single player side, because it would have kind of been an attempt to unify the single and multiplayer player bases. Mm-hmm. But, um, and actually somewhere on a hard drive around here, I have a build of it. Um, That's cool. Not that it's, not that it, not that I can do much with it. It basically just launches and gives me a login screen. And of course there's no (laughs) server to serve that. So, Um, but still I do have it around here somewhere. And it did seem like a cool thing, but you know, basically after UO, Origin really, I think only released, maybe there was something on the Wing Commander side. But for their, you know, fantasy RPG line, they released Ultima mm-hmm. 9, and that was right. it. That was it. There were multiple attempts to do UO2. None of them succeeded. Mm-hmm. There was UXO. That got wiped out too. Ultima Online what a- was what was there. Yeah. And one of the other interesting things that I ran through in my my research was that Ultima Online holds the the Guinness Book of World Records for what most canceled sequels, I believe, is one of the entries. <laughs> probably, probably. I, I 
I think I'm aware of at least two, possibly three attempts to build UO2. Yeah. And just using all manner of different engines, right? I mean, there was even, at one point they were even talking about using like the same engine that powered the Sims. Wow. So. <laughs> well, well, one of the things that I remember, you know, just at, when I played the game, I remember one of the times that, that UO2 was announced and, and I was playing the game on this like really old computer. And my fear was that they were going to finish Ultima Online 2 and then stop supporting UO. Mm. And then everybody was going to go over that to that. And I wasn't going to be able to join them because my computer was so bad. So I, <laughs> I really liked having something that ran on kind of a minimum system requirement. So part of me at the time was glad that it was canceled. But, you know, I, I see now that it affected jobs and such. So I feel bad at having put so much negativity toward it. Well, I think the EA execs had kind of the reciprocal fear to yours because their big concern was, well, you know, we have UO and, you know, it's kind of the golden goose right now. Right. Um, we don't really want to carve away at its subscriber base. Yeah, I mean, they'd know, only on be hurting long shot new game. So, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. I've seen a lot of the same materials um, probably for UXO and also for like UO2, there was a whole bunch of uh, content that got passed to me some years back that was, uh, <clears throat> and I've put a lot of it out there on the codex. There's probably more that I have to extricate from these hard drives, but a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting ideas being mooted. But, you know, I have to, I remember talking with Bill Randolph, who was, you know, like you mentioned, um, lead programmers are mm -hmm. wonderful people to talk to. Absolutely. For just about any game. Because, yeah, they know where all the skeletons are. Right. <laughs> and I remember talking with uh, Bill Randolph, who was the lead programmer for Ultima 9. And, you know, one of the things we got to talking about was the fact that with Ultima 9, they tried to do in 3D the same level of world interactivity that characterized Ultima 7 or even, you know, to a large extent UO mm -hmm. and they succeeded in a lot of ways, but it's kind of funny because, you know, if you look at the inclusion of that particular feature in RPGs, you have Ultima nine and then no 3d RPG has it again, really, except for a couple of European games out of like, um, Piranabytes, hmm. but basically almost no 3d RPGs after that point, after 1999 have it, until maybe Skyrim. And even then that's kind of an iffy one right. because with Skyrim, it was more of a case of where Skyrim supported it, but the base game didn't really have a lot of it. You know, you could add it in, in a mod, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, you know, now we have like maybe um, Divinity Original Sin, you know, which again, sort of has it, but not nearly to the level that Ultima did. And, you know, he mentioned, R Bill mentioned that, moving from the 2D engine to the 3D engine really, really, really made that particular aspect of the game ludicrously complicated. Oh, I bet. Um, and so I have to wonder, you know, because most of the UO2 ideas were using some kind of 3D engine, I have to wonder if UO2 would have been another one of those games that UO players jumped to for two weeks and then came back because it still didn't offer the same experience that they had grown sure. accustomed to and that they were looking I mean, for. 
anytime one of these new games comes out, you know, you, you think that you want something different, but what you really want is the same but different. And I think that that's something that that experience just doesn't exist for most people. So I think you're absolutely right. I think people would have jumped over and then realized that, you know, either most of their friends didn't come with them or, you know, it, the, the housing wasn't the same or the community wasn't the same and, and they'd have been back. I suspect so. All right. Well, um, where can people pick up their own copy of Braving Britannia? And where can people find you online to learn more about the game or about Wes Loker? Sure. I, I would recommend that folks go to the, the website bravingbritannia.com, which uh, has a great overview of, of everybody who's interviewed for the book and contributed to it. You can learn or you can read a bunch of snippets from the book. Uh, there's, there's links there if you want to purchase a copy in paperback or uh, we also have a Kindle version that's available. Nice. And if people want to uh, follow me, I don't know why they would. I'm not the most interesting person in the world by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but they can they can find me on Twitter at Wes Loker. They can find me on Facebook at Writer Wes Loker. Um, one of my favorite things to come out of this project is that we created a, a group on Facebook called the UO Book Project. And that's kind of where I, I used a community of folks to source a lot of material throughout the writing process. So if I needed somebody who... Um, you know, was a role player, I would kind of go there and say, does anybody want to talk about you know, this certain aspect? Or if I learned about a player run town, I went there and said, who knows anything about this place and found people that way. So uh, that's a great place to kind of drop into to share Ultima Online memories, kind of um, keep posted on what's going on with the project, future installments of the project, or just to potentially reconnect with people that, you know, you haven't, haven't seen or spoken with outside of the video game in some years. Cool. And is that a public group? It is, yeah. I think you have to ask to join, um, but you know we we approve everybody that comes that way, and and we're happy to have them. Awesome, that sounds cool. I will uh, have to check that out personally, and I'll make yeah. sure that a link for that once I find it gets in the show notes. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. This yeah. was uh, a great little chat. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me a, a forum to kind of chat about the book a little bit more. Um, it's. You know, it's it's something that I've been living with for for many many months. So to have it now be out there and be getting feedback from people and to kind of be talking about it is is making me start to you know look at it in a different way. I guess that's very interesting. So I, I appreciate the chance to come on the sh- to spam 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 spam. How many spams is it? Just three. Spam spam. spam now we're turning into buttons, guys. To chat about it. <clears throat> awesome. Well, again, thank you for your time. Yeah, and, my pleasure. Uh, Yes, I look forward to getting my copy. I just ordered it, actually. So, oh, thank you so much. All right. Will you have a good rest of your day? All right, you too, man. And I will talk to you later. Thank you. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com, or if you're feeling a bit braver, you can leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. You're also welcome to join us on Discord to chat with us and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. If you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook and on Google+. You can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter, or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. 
If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes, that helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.